Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Ritman Grace Podcast. Our church's vision is to have a passion for God and compassion for people. We hope that the teachings in this podcast will encourage you as you seek to follow Christ and grow in your faith. Now, let's get into today's message. Somebody has to tell me what happened to the smokestacks at Morton Salt. That's just a, a thing that is really bothering me. I've got to know where they went and why they went away. Okay, before we get started, let's have a moment of prayer. Father, Psalm 40 talks about being trapped, being in a pit, and how you've delivered David from that pit. I mean, all of us have been there. All of us have been in a pit and it seemed helpless, whether it's the pit of our, when we first realized how deep the problem of our sin was, and we called upon Christ to save us, or even a trial right now with relationships, with money, with, with work, with a neighbor. We've all been there or are there right now. I'd ask that these words that you've you've given us from David would make a difference in how we are choosing to live our lives and how we can see that you are there to help us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. There are urban legends that abound. We have urban legends out west of Bigfoot, Sasquatch, who roams the west. We also have in Portage County, just real close to where I live, in, uh, in Talmadge, the Mogador Reservoir, there's the grass man myth that in the shallows where the grass grows high and the fish spawn, that there's a grass man, a Sasquatch-like creature that can sometimes early in the morning or late at night be seen roaming around in the swamps. Urban legends. Wayne County has its own urban legend. And what urban legend is that? Oh, we've, we've got a Doylestown, that's your hint. Rogue's Hollow, and what's in Rogue's Hollow? Cry Baby Bridge, yes. That's where all the guys know on a date. You take your girlfriend out there at midnight, and you park on the bridge, and you say, soon we'll hear the train, and then the baby crying, and then your girlfriend goes, oh, you've got to hold me close. And you're going, yes, good for urban legends. But it's all an urban legend. Another legend that I bought into for the longest time was that in Hoover Dam, which they built between 1930 and 1935, just hundreds of thousands of cubic feet of concrete, that there were workers working on scaffolding that just fell into the concrete and got sucked into it. You know, you know there were stories that, yeah, you know, Ed just fell, and we saw him just, oh right into the concrete, and he, he sunk 30 foot down, and there was no way to retrieve his body. And to this day, his grave is Hoover Dam. Urban legend. They always poured in no higher than five foot high slabs, and they would never pour a slab until the one under it had cured so that people could walk on it. So if somebody did trip and fall in the concrete, all they'd have to do is stand up. And their heads, you know, it's like this, at the deepest point. And they only dumped eight cubic feet of mud 
into each form at a time, and in the smallest form, that would have only been four inches of concrete. Urban legend. But it is scary to think about getting sucked into something. When they used to have the packaging corporation down there, I worked in the boiler room, and they had a large coal bunker above the boilers. It looked like the bottom of a battleship. And there were, it was 20 feet deep, filled with pulverized, pebbled coal. Once I was working with one of our maintenance men up there, Chuck Griffin, and somebody pulled coal from the pocket he was standing under, and instantly he was sucked into the coal up to his waist and couldn't get out. Instantly, Mike, Mike, quick, go downstairs. If they pull another thing, I'll be sucked in for good. You know, it'll be over my head. So I had to run real quick down the stairs, say, don't pull coal. It took three men to dig him out. He was stuck in the coal. The whole thought of getting stuck like that in a pit, oh, and that's what, that's what we heard Dwayne read about in Psalm 40, being sucked into a pit, buried alive. It's a horrible thought. Thankfully, nobody was buried alive in Hoover, Hoover Dam. It's an urban legend, but the Bible uses that image of being sucked into a horrible, slimy pit to illustrate trials that you meet in life where you can't get a foothold, attacks from others who want to harm you. And sometimes it's the result of just sin that comes from within us. So I'd like you to turn to Psalm 40, if you would, please. That's where we're going to be today. We're going to be studying verses 1 through 17, and we're going to start in verses 1 to 10, where we're going to see how David says, I was trapped in a slimy pit. In the NIV, it says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He was alone. David was alone in a pit of slime, and he's waiting patiently for God. And it says, he turned to me and heard my cry. I like how it says it in the King James Version. It says, he inclined to me. See, I can tell the intimacy of your relationships just by watching your body language out here. If somebody wants to say something they don't know, they're sitting next to somebody, and you want to make a comment, you just go, you know, and, it's, and I say, oh, yeah, they're just friends. But when I see somebody inclined to somebody else, and they lean over, and they touch, and then it's... I say, oh, they're either married, or they're dating, or they're really interested in each other, or they're family members. But it speaks of intimacy, and it says the Lord inclined to me. The thought that there's relationship there between us and God. When we talk, when we pray, it's not as if the Lord's just, yeah, I'll, I'll get to it, I'll get to it. Now, I'll put, leave a message, just leave a message, I'll play the message in a couple days, and then I'll, then I'll come up with a response. But no, when we talk, and when we cry, he says, what's that? I'm... I'm inclining to you because there's something ex that exists between us. There's a relationship. I want to hear what you have to say. And it says that the Lord heard David. Ever talk and know that you're not heard? All the parents in here are going, <laughs> You've watched as a parent. You're saying something to your kids, 
and they're sitting there going like this, and you can see the words going, just like bullets ricocheting off a rock. Not that my kids would ever do that. (laughs) But he was, what's he crying about? David is trapped in a slimy pit. The King James Version calls it a horrible pit. It's wet, it's gooey, slimy clay, and the more you struggle, the deeper you get. And you always need help to get out of a pit. There are three instances in Scripture where there are pits, other pits that people are literally in, and they always need the help of somebody else to get out of. One is in Genesis 37, 23 to 28. This is where Joseph is thrown into the pit by his brothers. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the richly ornamented robe he was wearing, and they took him and they threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. And they sat down to eat their meat, and they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Oh, nice brother. You know, yeah, what do we gain if we murder him? You know, let's get some profit out of this. Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites, not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. And the brothers agreed. So when the Midianites merchant, when the Midianite merchants came by, his brother, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern. Joseph had to be down there crying. Let me out! Come on, guys, let me out! Please, it's dark in here. Please let me out. No way out. No way out. He had to be pulled out with ropes. When you are in a deep, deep trial, there's no way out. You need help. Somebody has to pull you out. Somebody else once was in a pit a pit that was very dangerous. Daniel, in Daniel 6. Daniel 6, 16 to 23. So the king gave the order and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. A pit. The king said to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. No way out. Not only can you not climb out, Nobody can let you out at this point because you're sealed in there, like sealed in a jar. The king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done anything wrong before you, O king. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And Daniel was lifted out of the den. See, when you're in a bad trial, in a real slimy, horrible pit, you can't get out on your own. And some of you have been in trials like that. Probably one of the most illustrative of a slimy pit 
is Jeremiah in Jeremiah 38, 1 to 13. He was thrown into a pit and he sank down into the mud. And we're going to see it took 30 men to pull him out. He was sunk that so far down into the muck. Essentially, we can start, we can start in verse 1. Shephatiah, son of Matan, Gedaliah, son of Pashur, Jehuchal, the son of Shelemiah, and Pashur, the son of Michaeljah. That one, I got to admit, without my readers, that's the best I can do. <laughs> Heard what Jeremiah was telling all the people when he said, this is what the Lord says. Whoever stays in the city will die by the sword, famine, or plague, but whoever goes over to the Babylonians will live. He will escape with his life. He will live. And this is what the Lord says. This city will certainly be handed over to the army of the king of Babylon, who will capture it. Joseph wasn't doing anything wrong, thrown into a pit. Daniel, he was just praying. No guilt was found in him, thrown into a pit. Here's Jeremiah. What's he doing? He's telling people how to live, how to save their lives. He is saying the word of God to these people. He's doing everything right. Sometimes you're doing everything right. And then some awful thing like this happens. Then the officials said to the king, this man should be put to death. He is discouraging the soldiers who are left in the city as well as the people by the things he is saying to them. The man is not seeking the good of these people, but their ruin. He's, no, he's, he's saying what it'll take to save them. He is in your hands, King Zedekiah answered. The king can do nothing to oppose you. So they took Jeremiah and put him into the cistern of Malchijah, the king's son, who was in the courtyard of the guard. They lowered Jeremiah by ropes into the cistern. It was so deep they had to lower him in. They couldn't just throw him in. They lowered him in with ropes. It had no water in it, only mud. And Jeremiah sank down into the mud, into the slime, into the horrible pit. And the more he struggled and tried to get out, the deeper he worked himself in. But Ebed-Melech, a Cushite, an official in the royal palace, heard what they had done. They had put Jeremiah into the cistern while the king was sitting in the Benjamin gate. Ebed-Melech went out of the palace and said to him, My lord, the king, these men have acted wickedly in all they have done to Jeremiah the prophet. They have thrown him into a cistern where he will starve to death when there is no longer any bread in the city. Then the king commanded Ebed-Melech the Cushite, take 30 men from here with you and lift Jeremiah the prophet out of the cistern before he dies. So Ebed-Melech took the men with him, went to a room under the treasury in the palace. He took some old rags and worn out clothes from there and let them down with ropes to Jeremiah into the cistern. Ebed-Melech the Cushite said to Jeremiah, put these old rags and worn out clothes under your arms to pad the ropes. And they pulled him out with the ropes and lifted him out of... He was stuck so deep in the muck. They had to pad under his arms to pull him out. It took 30 men. When you are in a bad trial, when you are in a horrible pit, no way out unless you have help. And David is saying, do you know what? I waited patiently for God. He inclined to me. Not just, I'll get back to you. He inclined. We got a relationship here. This is intimate. I want to hear what you got to say. 
And when this is written so that when we are in a pit, we can say to God, incline your ear to me. Incline to me like you did with David. And sometimes it's embarrassing to ask for help. I had somebody that lives close by me came up this week to me. They called me. They said, I need some help. I got an earbud stuck in my ear. And I said, an earbud? I said, yeah. You know, these little things you listen to, you know, internet on. I said, okay, come on over. I'll I'll help. That's kind of an odd request. So they came over, and I expected to see the whole earbud. But no, what they'd done, they had yanked the earbud out, and that little rubber grommet that's on there that is the pad, it had stayed in there, and they tried to pick it out, and they had jammed it all the way into their ear. I mean, way I couldn't even see it unless I took my headlamp and looked in there. And at first I thought, well, this may be a trip to the emergency room here. <laughs> and then I thought, no, wait a second. My hands are rock steady. I work on clocks. I deal with tiny little mechanisms every day. So I said, okay. Let's give this a try. I put my headlamp on, and I got these. And I said, let's see what we can do. So, you know, I, I, I was sitting there, you know, pulling with it. Then I could see it. So I put these in, and I could touch it, but it just wasn't enough. And so he says, well, do you have anything else? And I said, yeah, I think I do. So then I pulled out these, and I watched his eyes go, And I says, I'm not going to go in any deeper. (laughs) I just need the strength of the steel. And in two tries, you know, yoink, out it came. I mean, the guy was sweating, you know. Sometimes you can't do things on your own. You need to ask someone for help. And a lot of times you can't just sit there and say, I'll get through this on my own. I've, you know, this mess can, I'm, I'll figure out, God is saying, you know, I'll incline my ear to you if you just let me know. Come on, talk to me. So out, out of the slimy pit, um, that's where he was so happy. Now he had a foothold, verse 2. He set my foot on a rock. He gave me a firm place to stand. All of a sudden, relief, when that little earbud was out of that person's ear, it was like, oh, oh, thank you, thank you, oh, oh. And so David has a song. I mean, he's pretty happy to be out of there. So he says there's a new song song that he starts to sing, talk about in verse 3. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see in fear and put their trust in the Lord. You know, he's talking about a new song. I really think that music echoes what's in a person's heart. I mean, I found as I dated, I could tell a lot about the girl that I was dating just by the music she listened to. If I'd look at her albums and see a lot of Carpenter stuff, I'd say, oh, sweet, traditional. You know, this is, she's just a good, wholesome girl. If I'd see a lot of records by Joni Mitchell, I'd say, ooh, strong-willed a real thoughtful person, a thinker. And then if I'd ever see anything by James Taylor, I would go, emotional damage, maybe stay away. But 
David's song is like, no matter what situation I'm in, no matter what, Lord, you will come through for me. That's his song. His whole song, Lord, you come through for me. I'm in a problem. Guess what? You come through for me. I'm going to sing about this. This is what's in my heart. He said, you know, I'm going to tell you. Everybody comes, he, the Lord comes through for me. This is like a spiritual EKG, and you can see he's got a healthy heart. There's prayer. Uh, this is what you can see in your own life. There's prayer. There's, there's worship. There's honor for the Bible. You actually study it. I mean, that's like a spiritual EKG to say, yeah, I've got the right song in my heart. Verses 4 through 5, he's saying, I can count on you. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. No, I'm just you and I, God. You incline your ear to me. I'm with you. Many, O oh Lord, my God, are the wonders you have done, the things you've planned for us. No one can recount to you. Were I to speak and tell of them, they would be too many to declare. He says, man, I, I can count on you. Now, when we sing here and we sing our songs, what song is in our heart? You know, I mean, you know, if we sit together, you know, can you count on God to come through for you? We all thought, oh, yeah, yeah, I count on God all the time. But sometimes the real song in our heart is like, oh, no, will he hear me? Or am I just going to be putting a message on a phone and maybe he'll get to me someday in the future? More often than not, sometimes those thoughts go through our heads. They go through mine. Sometimes the real songs that are in our hearts as believers are, why are you doing this to punish me? I was doing the right thing. Lord, why, why, are you, why have you brought this upon me? Why don't you listen? Why, do, why don't you incline your ear? Psalm 40 says you inclined your ear to David. I mean, yeah, I understand he waited patiently, and I'm not being very patient here, but I want you to incline your ear to me now. Ah, oh, come on, you really don't care about my work problems. Uh, you really don't care about my marriage problems. You don't care about my parenting problems, problems with my children, my problems with loneliness. And we struggle with fear and doubt about God that we hold on to secretly because we sure don't want to say that to anybody else at church. They'll take away your, you're an okay Christian card. Don't want to, don't want to be honest about that. But this psalm says he wants to pull you out, and you can't do it yourself. He wants to pull you out of the slime pits that you get into. And I like how David goes on to say, you know, there's a lot more to having something to do with God than just checking boxes and following a list. He says, God wants relationship, not religion, in verses 6 through 8 in his song. He goes, sacrifice and offering you, didn't des you don't desire, but my ears you have pierced. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, here am I. I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, O God. O my God, your law is in my heart. David says, Man, God did something here. He opened my ears. He pierced my ears. It's almost a, almost a violent thought. And he's saying, you know, God, you just don't want acts of worship. You want relationship through worship. 
You don't want us to just jump through hoops. You don't want us to just check boxes and keep a list of things we've done. You want to talk with us. But <laughs> I like lists. And a lot of you are like me. Sometimes I have my list of things to do in a day. And let's say I do something extra. Oh, I'll go to my planner and write that in just so I can check it off. Yeah, that's how we are. We like to check off lists rather than actually have a heart relationship sometimes. There was a girl I was in love with in college. And I thought, man, if I just, if I do something to really get her attention, you know, if I can just earn it, you know, tell you what, I bet I could earn her love if I played rugby because I bet she'd really like a tough guy. You know, and one time we were talking after I'd done all that, and I said, well, do you know I played the rugby just for you? To which she said, do you know, that's the part of you I like the least. I'm going, boy, did I get it wrong. In our relationship with God, if we're just looking at jumping through hoops and keeping lists, boy, are we getting it wrong. It's not what he wants. When David understands how God inclines to him, how he turns to him, how he hears his cry, when it comes to worshiping, David is saying, oh man, I've got a song. Hey, when I sing this, God, I want, here I am. I'm singing this to you. I want to be with you. This is my song to you. Now, we sang songs this morning. What were you thinking of when you were singing? Oh, some of you sometimes get caught in the trap that I get in. Oh, we sang that song for four weeks in a row. I'm getting kind of tired of it. Where's the relationship? Where's the, here I am, God. You know, maybe it's not my favorite song, but I'm singing a song to you. I really don't like that song at all. Oh, we've got to sing all four verses. <sighs> Sometimes we have some pretty ugly words going through us, ugly songs going through our hearts when it should be, here am I. Yeah, maybe this song isn't my favorite hymn in the world, but you know what? This talks about truth of who I am in relationship to you. And we sit there and we sing and there's nothing going on in our heart. That's when God is probably saying the same thing that that girl said to me. Boy, do you know what? That's what I like least about you. You just go through the motions and there's no heart involved. That's what he says to me when I find myself singing and going through the motions. That's what he says to me. I feel convicted. David says, though, man, when I think of what God does for me, I can't keep it inside. Verses 9 to 10, I proclaim righteousness in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips, as you know, O Lord. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and salvation. I do not conceal your love and your truth from the great assembly. I, I can't keep it inside. It's like Psalm 23, 5. My cup runneth over. You came through for me, and I got to talk about it. I don't seal my lips. Do you ever seal your lips? He says, man, when it comes to talking about you, I, I, I'll talk about you. I don't hide your righteousness or conceal your love. In Talmadge, every now and then, I'm driving, and I'll see couples walking, holding hands. And I
Oh, that's nice. When you're holding hands, you're saying, hey, there's, we're a couple. One seat won't do. We're, I'm letting everybody know in the world, this is my significant person. It's a sign of love. Hey, I don't see them. I, I'll tell everybody. I'm telling the whole world. This. This person. I love. And when your significant other is embarrassed to hold hands with you in public, oh, you've got problems. And if for some reason you have problems saying the name of Jesus Christ in public, ooh, we have problems. I was at a wedding just a couple weeks ago. Christian wedding. And I said to myself after it was over, I said, we went through the whole wedding service, scripture and everything, and nobody ever said the name Jesus Christ one time. Well, that's odd. How, how, do, you, how do you do that? And for a while, I've been observing that, and I see that a lot of times people don't want to say that word. When I get customers come in and they bring a clock in to get fixed and say, well, how did you get involved in this? You know, then that's my thought is the Lord just opened the door for a testimony because I think that was direct leading from God, you know, praying to Christ, saying, help me, Lord. And I'll bring it up and I'll notice every now and then you'll get a born-again Christian that'll just say, isn't Jesus so good that way? And I'll go, oh, you said it. You're saved, aren't you? But a lot of people, well, God does these things, doesn't he? Well, God does here. And I'm going, you know, yeah, I've done that too. You know, I just don't want to get involved in an intimate discussion about God. So I, don't, don't we all do that? That's not right. I'm sealing my lips. David says, don't, don't seal your lips. Talk about God's righteousness. What scares me when I won't mention the name of Christ in every situation I can is what Jesus said in Luke 9, 26. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. And I've got to ask myself, when I won't use the name Jesus Christ in public or with somebody just in a private conversation, what is that saying about me? Am I ashamed? I don't want him to be ashamed of me when he's coming. David shifts now from verses 1 to 10 where he's saying, thanks for delivering me. And he goes on to say, protect me from more slime pits. There's other pits that, that I'm going to be involved with. Please protect me from them in verses 11 through 17. And he says there's slime pits all around me in verses 11 through 12a. Says, do not withhold your mercy from me, O Lord. May your love and your truth always protect me, for troubles without number surround me. He says, man, I need you all the time. I've got stuff all around me. I'm not doing anything wrong, and trouble comes and finds me. God's going, I know. And when it does, I'll incline my ear, come and ask for help. But it's out there, and for us to think, oh, God is punishing me, he says, no. 
ask for protection from those slime pits. But yeah, they're out there. They're going to come your way. They're going to come my way. But what's worse is what he says in 12b. My sins have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head, and my heart fails within me. Yeah, and that one line I really don't know if I should say anything about, because it seems like that I would be making myself seem, you know, they are more than the hairs of my head, since there are not many up there. But believe me, they're all on my back and my chest, so the hairs are there. <laughs> they're just not here. But he says, I'm, I, my sins have overtaken me. I'm in over my head when I see what's truly in my heart. I need help. I can't see. To which Jesus would say, yes, you are blind. Jesus would say, yes, you are in over your head with sin. Yes, that's exactly where you should be. And when he says, my heart fails within me. This is where Jesus says, you're having a moment of clarity. That's what they call it in Alcoholics Anonymous. When a person says, I'm, I'm addicted. I can't get out. This is where Jesus is saying, you're sinking, you're in over your head, you can't see, your heart is failing. Good. Now you see your need. And so, David prays to be saved from traps. Please be pleased, O Lord, to save me, O Lord. Come quickly to help me. May all who seek to take my life be put to shame and confusion. May all who desire my ruin be turned back in disgrace. May those who say to me, aha, aha, be appalled at their own shame. Not that people much anymore look at us and go, aha. <laughs> but you know what that is. That's gloating over another person's fall. And there are people there. Some of you have people in your life, as I have one or two in mine, that rejoice every time I fail, every time I fall. Aha! See? There you go. You, you truly are a miserable screw-up. Now, now you get to see it about yourself. I'll go, yeah, a uh, miserable screw-up. I, I, I own that. I take that. It's horrible when you see that the slime pits are in you. And he prays to be saved from those traps. He says, I need your help now. Evil is planned against me. Some wanted to kill him. Some wanted to seek his ruin. And there are always those who, when you fall, they want to gloat. Oh, good. You fell. Aha. Good. But David says, may good come to those that love God. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation always say, the Lord be exalted. And then David ends with a clear image of who we are. Yet I am poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my help and my deliverer. Oh my God, do not delay. And when I first read this psalm, the whole thing that made me focus upon it is just 17a, and I like it best in the King James, where it says, even though I am poor and needy, yet the Lord thinks of me. That's really, to me, that is the, that is the mystery of this whole psalm. I know what I am on the inside, 
I've got a real good view of just what a creep lives in here. Oh, I can put on a nice white shirt and a nice tie that my son picked out that matches the coat, you know, and I can dress up and be up here and look all fun. But you know what? I know, I know me really well. And I don't like what I know. And I know God sees that. Yet, he allowed me to find the cross of Jesus Christ and find salvation. And when I hear this, and I go, even though I am poor and needy and my heart is a slime pit, most of the time the pits that I get caught in, it's my own doing. It's not even coming from the outside. I walk right into it and go, ooh, this looks good. Even though I am poor and needy, yet the Lord thinks of me. Even though you are poor and needy, the Lord thinks of you. He wants to incline his ear. He wants to incline to you. And just that, that one little part, it's part of the verse that, of the psalm. That one part of that verse, 17a, I, it touches my heart. Because I'm helpless in life's slime pits. I'm helpless in the traps that are set for me. I'm helpless against the own slime pit in my own heart. And I can't get out on my own no more than Joseph could get out of the cistern. No more than Daniel could get out of the sealed lion's den. No more than Jeremiah could get out by himself out of that cistern that he was put in where he sunk down into the slime. I can't get out. You can't get out. But even though we find ourselves drowning, yet the Lord thinks of us and will pull us out, whether it's that first time of saying, Lord, I, I need the cross. Or you're in a pit and he says, I'm inclining my ear. What do you need? And he'll pull us out. Do you know, in 1976, Mattel Toys came up with a cool new toy. They called it slime. This is slime. This stuff is just blech. And the more you gush it around, the more it becomes almost addicting to say, oh, this feels good. If you were caught in a swimming pool full of this stuff, you would sink down and it would engulf you. You know, what scares me, though, is when I have little, little slimy things that I, that I find in my heart, sometimes I want to grab them and start to play with them. Sinful thought. It's not hurting anything. I'm certainly not going to be engulfed in anything. But this is how it starts. Angry thoughts. Vengeful thoughts. Lustful thoughts. And, you know, it just becomes something that, you know, you're sitting there going, and it starts to become a part of you, and you play with it, and you play with it. What you don't see is that, and I can't make this happen, this starts to grow until it becomes unmanageable, and it engulfs you. Are you in a slime trap now? If so, there's one that wants to incline his ear to you to help you out. And you cannot get out on your own.
Let's close in prayer. Father, we're either in a pit now, we've gotten out of a pit, or there's one coming. Those, Those are the three options. There's everything right about saying, protect me from those horrible pits, the miry cisterns that I could get sunken into of sin or somebody coming after me or just the evil things that life itself brings upon me. But when when we find ourselves being sucked into some awful thing, what we need to remember is, is that if we know Jesus Christ as our Savior, he is there to incline his ear to us and pull us out because we cannot do it alone. It's in Christ's name we pray. Our church's mission is to follow God, share His truth, and be examples of the love of Jesus to all. If you would like to know more about us, you can visit our website at www.ritmangrace.org or drop by anytime for one of our in-person Sunday morning worship services. Once again, thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time for another episode of the Ritman Grace Podcast.